When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back by no one's demand, but our own and from Chile, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, in Elizabeth Park, beautiful Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Teresa Walker, two-time Tennessee sports writer of the year, covering all of your favorite sports teams for the Associated Press in Tennessee, Hall of Fame credentials at Teresa M. Walker on Twitter. What up, T? Well, it's about time. (laughs) You finally... My feelings were getting hurt, okay, that you hadn't asked me to do this yet. So if if you hadn't finally asked, I was getting ready to kind of stomp on you. Teresa, this is is meant with all respect. You know, I just... I, I forgot somehow to include you in the lineup is the only way that I can put it, and it is such an act of disrespect that I am here for all of your criticisms, and I'm very happy that you finally decided to join Finally asked to join you. I mean, I was beginning to think the last time you and I did something on air, you know, a few months ago, I was like, geez, was I that bad that, you know, that boring, you know, didn't hit on that millennial wavelength or something? Absolutely not. Listen, you are are here for the, uh, the mothering presence that the Nashville sports audience needs. You're here to give it to them the way that they need to hear it and not the way that they may like to hear it. That is why I enjoy your company. I'm very happy to have you here today. My pleasure, because that's the thing. So, you know, sometimes you need that extra voice in the mix, and I'm more than happy to bring it. But, yeah, when you mentioned all those credentials earlier, oh, I'm going to need some, uh, you know, the old rheumatism medicine for those of those who are actually listening who remember the old granny medicine from Beverly Hillbillies, but <laughs> it was just probably two people, maybe. It's okay. That's all right. We're going to make all the dated references humanly possible here today on the pod. We're going to talk to Alan Bell of CBS Sportsline about all things going on in the NFL. Three games left. In the season, we will talk Tennessee Titans, of course, since Teresa is here. Uh, Vols quarterback, former Vols quarterback, Jonathan Crompton, will join the pod. The Vols will take on my Indiana Hoosiers in the Gator Bowl down in Jacksonville. And also his former coach, Lane Kiffin, has a new job. We will discuss those things with Jonathan Crompton. Finally, Tyler Reddick, NASCAR driver, recently in town for the NASCAR Awards that were held at the Music City Center. He's going to pop on the pod, and we will wrap up that way. But first, let's chat with Alan Bell of CBS Sportline. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Alan Bell, CBS Sportsline, at Alan Bell 247 is where you follow the big homie. My man, I appreciate you stopping by. What what knowledge have you come burdened uh, with today to share with us? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, but first off, man, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I'll say this. 
you remember about what a year and a half ago when the Jaguars were what one game away from going to the Super Bowl? You remember that? I I was I was that close uh, to seeing Blake Bortles in a Super Bowl. Yes, you were. Ever since that game, the last two years, uh, the Jaguars, uh, their last twenty five games, they lost nineteen of them and eleven of them by double digits. They're a disaster. <laughs> that. That brings that's such a great way to start off an interview that you know a bunch of Titans fans are going to hear cuz they are really really feeling themselves as of late and to see the implosion of the Jacksonville Jaguars it's just kind of a cherry on top of the cake that is the Tennessee Titans in 2019. Oh, it really is and I'll say this man, like, you know, if you're a big calendar guy like you like to have a calendar in the house, there's two things that you can count on in the month of December. Christmas and the Jaguars quitting. Right? Like you can mark that down. I I have been laughing all day. In fact, I'm getting ready for the primetime show that we're going to do here in about an hour. And uh, I found the video of Philip Rivers trash talking uh, Yannick Ngakwe, and it's it's just it's it's all it's delightful for a variety of reasons because there are so many ir- irritants on the Jacksonville defense. Philip Rivers is the ultimate irritator without actually cussing. I've just been, I've been rolling around in it today. It's been delightful for me. Oh, oh I'm, dude, I'm totally with you. Like Philip Rivers is like you know when you were a teenager and you went to like vacation Bible school or whatever. Like, yes, he was like the like the head guy that would rib you know all the dudes you know that played ball. But like exactly what you said, there's no cussing. There's no you know anything like that. Like he's not crossing a line. It's like it's dude. He's like the cool dad of your buddies. You know what I mean? Like he's just awesome. It's honestly the best. By the way, you can check out all of Allen's work at cbssportsline.com. All of your winning Vegas expert picks, proven fantasy tools, optimal daily fantasy strat- uh, daily fantasy lineups, and advanced computer simulations. This all sounds entirely out of my atmosphere, Allen. And before we get to the actual football conversation, kind of kind of let the people know what you're doing now. For sports line, because I know that's a little bit different from the last time we've had you on. Yeah, it really is, man. Uh, it's awesome. So, you know, obviously it was with 24-7 Sports uh, forever, and, you know, we're all with the CBS, uh, you know, family, CBS right. Sports. So, yeah, so, you know, we're all umbrella together, and really, you know, with sports line, we're trying to do it's a brand that's been around forever, but really what, you know, we're trying to, we're bringing it back, and we're bringing it to a level of, of what, you know, expert fans, you know, really want. So, you know, like you said, you know, if you're into the betting community, obviously, like we simulate games 10,000 times, like we have all that. But even if you're not into that, like we have, you know, statistical analysis, we've got, you know, advanced data metrics. And I'll give you one, you know, for the audience right here, like of how important the Titans game is Sunday. Uh, Right now, uh, to win the AFC South, we calculated it. Uh, the Texans are about 55%, Titans 45%. If the Titans win Sunday against Houston, that jumps to Titans 75%, Houston 25%. So, you know, I didn't mean to throw a bunch of numbers at you, but just go to show, like, even if you're not into betting, like, we have a lot of really good analysis, you know, for the expert fans. So, yeah, man, sportsline.com, check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the odds change astronomically with a Titans win on Sunday. Of course, the line, as I last saw it, was Tennessee uh, by two and a half uh, as a home favorite. Shocking to me that they are in the position that they're in, Allen, at eight and five, tied for the division lead. 
They've got a four and two record at home, and they are in a pretty a pretty decent spot given how the Texans just appeared to lay down on Sunday against the Broncos. What what is how does Vegas feel about the Titans right now? Because I've never liked them for as long as I've been here in Nashville. The Vegas <laughs> yeah. has never been a Titans fan. But what has kind of changed when you look at when when odds makers are looking at this team and evaluating how they'll do up against a divisional opponent? Yeah, definitely. So I'll tell you this, man. Like the Titans, ever since really Tannehill came in, has really been you know uh, a play for the sharps for the expert betters. Because I'll say this: so Tannehill started what seven games now? Is that right? Six seven and games. one. That's right. Yep. So he's six and one straight up. Uh, he's five and one uh, against the spread, and all seven games that Tannehill has started at quarterback have hit the over. So you've got these betting experts that have sit here and watched the Titans just go on this magical run the last seven games, and they are cashing in, knowing that literally the Titans, and as soon as I say it, like that's what, it, you know, it, it flips the other way, but like the Titans have literally been paying mortgages for people who have been paying attention. It's just incredible what the Titans have done. I mean, and you know it better than anybody covering the team day to day, but I mean, you know, when we looked at this team week two, week three, week four, week five, it just where we're at now watching them, it's just incredible, man. Yeah, what's what's the precedent for something like this, Alan? Does one exist? Because the the only thing that I can look at and and I keep I keep drawing this comparison and people keep getting mad at me for it, shocking enough. Uh, but it <laughs> reminds me of Ryan Fitzpatrick in Buffalo, like the only the only mid-career resurgence that I can point to was when he got that contract from the Bills a couple years ago, ironically enough, before he landed here in Nashville as one of the many quarterbacks who did time as the uh, the man under center for the Tennessee Titans. What, what precedent exists for something like this? Well, you know what? Like, honestly, I mean, you're right, and that's a good example to look at because there really isn't any precedent. Now, you know, like there have been quarterbacks that have come in and kind of, you know, had a, a fresh coat of paint and done well in the NFL. Like that story has been told for sure. However, not to this level. I mean, you look at the last four games, the Titans are averaging 37 points a game over the last four. I mean, it's just incredible what they've been doing. And not only, you know, in terms of scoring points, but Ryan Tandle has been so incredibly accurate He's setting records. I mean, if he had this, you know, streak for all 13 games this season, he would legitimately be in a conversation against Lamar Jackson for NFL MVP. And I, that's not hyperbole. Like, no. it is incredible what he has done. There, there really is not a precedent for this level. No, he's at the top of the charts in terms of all the efficiency metrics. I mean, the yards per play uh, or yards per attempt is something that people – look to to measure quarterbacks now. He is has been fantastic since being inserted. Over 10 yards per attempt, which is, I mean, frankly unheard of in the modern <laughs> yeah. NFL. Even from guys like Patrick Mahomes and, and all of these prolific passers who we have seen, Ryan Tannehill in 2019 is the best of them. How does this kind of shift Super Bowl favorites as you look at these kind of things? What can you kind of what? How does the Titans factoring into this late stage postseason push as they see it? How does that kind of of affect the odds for all of the people who are looking at Super Bowl bets this year? 
yeah, I mean, it's shifted them a lot. Like, you find the Titans right now, like, if you've got, you know, roughly, what, uh, 20 teams, you know, that, that are still in this race, the Titans are now about ninth in terms of, you know, the, the, the place out of those 20. And, you know, the odds keep going up. And, and again, like, I know that might not sound like a lot to, to people who don't bet. However, going into the year, when there were high expectations, there was no love given at all. And that's nothing against the Titans. That's how it is for a lot of teams because there's essentially five teams, you know, that Vegas is going to, you know, identify and say these five teams actually have a shot and everyone else really does it. You can throw your money down and we'll gladly accept it. But the Titans are really moving up right now. And it's just incredible, man. Like, it's just really exciting to watch because they take it one game at a time. And not to go cliche or anything like that, but they really do. And they handle their business, and especially in the second half. I mean, this team, if you're betting second halves, if if you get that degenerate in terms of betting, which I love you, by the way, uh, dude, Titans second half is is even more money on top of what they've already been doing. It's uh, it's it's so fun to watch because I have always, you know, I don't out of out of professional courtesy, for lack of a better term, I don't gamble on games because that's just an easy way to get in trouble when you're in my profession. But I, uh, I, I look at people and I would say I wouldn't touch a Titans line. Heading, obviously, the last couple of weeks have changed these circumstances, but I wouldn't touch them with anybody's money, not even my own, uh, for the longest time. And now, I, Titans, uh, Titans two and a half, is that a safe bet for people at this point, given how they have handled themselves at home and given what kind of, I mean, the Texans, they seem to have peaked at the wrong time. Yeah, you know, uh, if you take the Texans, like I've kind of said this all year, you take the Texans and take the Chiefs, like their ceilings are higher than most teams. Like they could show up on a Sunday, put 45 on you, you barely get the ball, they just wax you, right? But their their floors are so low as well that they could show up the next week, score six points and get blown out exactly what we just saw with the Texans against the Broncos, right? So you don't know what you're going to get. With the Titans, I mean, they are as consistent as it gets, uh, essentially since Sandejo came in, and, the, and especially the last four games. And I'll give you a stat right here, whether you're betting or not. The Houston Texans this year are 1-4 in four when a team scores 24 points or more in a game. Yes. The Titans are averaging 37 points the last four. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to keep this streak alive. However, 24 points has been nothing to Ryan Tannehill and the crew. Like, they've been handling this, so... Yeah, I mean, not to, you know, put anybody's Christmas money up, but, uh, yeah, two and a half kind of works, man. Yeah, I, I, have, been, I have been surprised how, uh, how favorable I have been to them, and I've been surprised uh, by how much I've enjoyed watching them since they've made the switch and since I wanted to gouge my eyes out with a spoon in Denver, <laughs> Colorado, uh, not too long ago. My brother, I appreciate you stopping by as always. It's uh, it's never long enough with Alan Bell of CBS Sportsline. Of course, you can check all of their gambling advice out, all of their winning picks, all of their insider uh, advice that they are giving out at Sportsline.com. You can follow my man Alan Bell at Alan Bell two four seven. Appreciate the time, my brother. Appreciate it, buddy. Take care, man. Thank you so much for having me. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast. 
Buck Rising, Teresa Walker, hanging out here with you. Teresa, this is uh, incredible. What we are watching in front of us, what we are seeing on a week-by-week basis from the Tennessee Titans. I am perhaps prisoner of the moment because much of my time spent here in Nashville has been uh, plagued by uh, wretched offensive football. What, what, where do you kind of stand on what you're seeing from them right now? Where does it rate in terms of the biggest surprises of this season? Well, I'm going to pat myself on the back. It's not too surprising to me. The surprise to me was when they started two and four and couldn't find the end zone with a flashlight and a guide uh, because it, when, when Andrew Luck retired, I bumped up the Titans from two to one in my pick to win the AFC South. Why? Because of all the weapons that they had put on this team. Now, they put they drafted A.J. Brown. They signed Roger Saffold, drafted Nate Davis, uh, You know, did all these things to help Marcus Mariota succeed in the final year of his deal. Well, that didn't work. You know, we can debate the issues why Marcus Mariota just didn't work in this system in this town after all the changes of coaches, coordinators, you name it. But the pieces were there. And when you watch A.J. Brown, what he does when the ball in his hand, I would have been happy with him if they had taken him at 19 overall. And instead they got him in the second round, Jeffrey Simmons in the first. You know, this this was a good draft class. But in the first few weeks, we're like, you know, this team, what in the world this looks horrible it looked like what we have seen for so many years over the last decade and then wow amazing what the change of one quarterback and the decision to finally start giving the ball more to Derrick Henry did to this team they just desperately needed to lower our expectations we set the bar too high for them they said no 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 we're gonna come out two and four we're gonna sandbag all of the goodwill that we may or may not have built up during the offseason And then we're going to make a quarterback switch in week six, and everything is going to change. We're going to start putting up 30 points a game. And defensive scores, Mike Vrabel, we know are included in that he was very quick to point that out. He was very good to point that out. Yeah, yesterday. They've been scoring a lot. It's totally fair. I, though, what they were capable of, I don't know what I expected. I think because we're, I'm, at least it feels like for me, we are so far removed from when Saffold and Humphreys were signed here in free agency and from the time that the Tannehill trade was made with Miami to where you're, he's on your books for $1.5 million this year. Thank you, Miami Dolphins, uh, for all of your good work, for paying for what may be playoff football here in Nashville and simply not good enough for him for them down in Miami if they could only find a quarterback just like Ryan Tannehill, Teresa. Well, the funny thing, talk about irony and, and the salt in the wound for the Dolphins, he counts $18.4 million against their cap this year. Uh, now the Titans, you know, that, that base pay, it's going to go up because he's earning the incentives that they put in this contract for him this year left and right. And as we do this, you know, his price, what whoever he signs with, and if the Titans let him get away then that would be malpractice as an organization so but you know that's the thing him in this lineup it is different now the one thing I don't know about you but I hear it a lot it's like why didn't we know about this sooner we saw Ryan Tannehill throwing this well during training camp back during the offseason program but it was never despite the national reports that we heard at the end of August first couple weeks of September there was never ever a competition for the number one job it was Marcus's to lose and he lost it. And they made the right decision. Yes. I think we would I think we would all agree now you can nitpick at what point the change should have been made, but 
from all the reporting that's been done on it, people who have been close to the coaching staff and said, no, listen, this was, this was kind of the organization's feel on it, and they wanted to move forward, as they should have, because they needed to find out what Marcus was. But now we sit here with Tannehill, who, uh, who, may, be, who may be a burden to them with the more that he does to get them closer to the playoffs. Like, he is getting, he could potentially kneecap them salary. Uh, salary no, 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 Buck. Here's the thing. They knew if Marcus had done this, they were prepared to pay him next year. There is a going rate for quarterbacks in the NFL. And for all the people who want him to take, oh, maybe he could take $15 million or $17 million and world? stick. I know. It's like, I'm sorry. In the NFL, a halfway decent quarterback is going to cost you $25 million. And with what he's doing, his price is getting closer every game to $30 million a year. The only question for me is, what is the final number? Is it four years? Uh, do they maybe do a six-year deal that's more like a four-year deal? And, and when I say that, you know, Cam Wake, you know, he's a guy, most of his money's this year. You know, he signed a three-year deal, but if they cut him in March, guess what? They essentially got out what they wanted to in the beginning. So they could do like that, do a four-year deal. He turns 32 next summer, and then that gets you to around 36 and buys you time to maybe find that next guy. Forget talk about bridges to the next quarterback. This is your quarterback right now and for the foreseeable future, and you pay him. I fear, I fear Ryan Fitzpatrick, Teresa, because this is, this is kind of I'm playing devil's advocate because I am not trying to diminish anything that he has done. He has been uh, the, the light of my life. Bless you, Ryan Tannehill, for what you have done to my football viewing Sundays. I was cursing the name of the Tennessee Titans in Denver, Colorado. It's the worst played football game I have ever seen offensively, and I hope never to witness anything like that again. But Buck, were you covering this team during the 5-27 and 27 seasons? No, Teresa, I was not. Well, then, trust me, there were many a day where I wanted to poke my eyes out. <laughs> and that's why Teresa is here for those. No, 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 honey. This is how it used to be. Relax. Yes, yes this is. One but, time. But the way they're scoring right now, it is amazing. I mean, they're doing things, you know, when they put up some of these numbers, you know, they've had little stretches, you know, where they've done this. But to score like this and to be chasing a division title, which is exactly what's on the line in the final three weeks, is amazing. The timing is not something that we've truly seen with this franchise in a long time. No, I, I look, though, and I see, I see, I'm looking for a precedent for a quarterback who has had a mid-career resurgence like this, and that's why I say Ryan Fitzpatrick. It sounds like absolute blasphemy to anyone who's hearing it and anybody who's watching what Ryan Tannehill is doing because Fitzpatrick has never been that. But I remember the deal he signed in Buffalo for what was it? I believe uh, ten or excuse me, five years. 50, uh, 59 million or something in the neighborhood of that. And that's kind of what I look at and say, is that what could be on the horizon? Could it get that bad with so much of their roster influx, with the salary cap implications of both Tannehill and Derrick Henry, who there would be riot in the street, riots in the streets if they did not resign? Um, what does that look like moving forward? That's the only thing that I that makes me approach approach this cautiously. 
Well, yes, because Fit, Fitzpatrick, when that deal in Buffalo ended and they were t- ready to get rid of him, he ended up here in, with Nashville. So yes. I actually had somebody say a couple days ago, well, maybe they could look at Fitzpatrick this offseason. No, he's been here, done that, moved on. <laughs> so there is that risk, you know, but here's the difference. And John Gruden pointed this out on our conference call with him last week. There are a lot of quarterbacks who have, you know, suddenly clicked later in their careers. You know, he mentioned Steve Young, you know, who while he had a lot of things early, you know, he replaced Joe Montana with the Niners uh, a little bit later. Rich Gannon. I mean, John Gruden went to a Super Bowl uh, with Rich Gannon. I'm thinking it was – well, maybe John was already in Tampa at that point. But John, Rich Gannon took him – yeah, took him to the Super Bowl. Shoot, I was at that AFC Championship game when uh, Gannon won the game. But uh, he revived his career – in Oakland. Sometimes it's all about fit and timing and being there at the right place. And again, Tannehill, his strengths, you know, he can get the ball out quickly. He can get the ball downfield. You know, yes, he makes some mistakes. You know, it's the NFL. The other guys are being paid too. But this team, he's at a point where this Titans team was built to do this. And you mentioned all the contracts that are going to come due. Absolutely. But you know, the one position that is planned for the most is quarterback. And then, yes, that running back, Derrick Henry, is going to make them make a decision. And for all the people, you don't pay running backs. Well, you pay the special ones that. And, you know, they know how healthy Derrick Henry is. And the miles on him, thanks to DeMarco Murray being here the first two years, are really low. So this is like buying a used car, but the tires have hardly been out of the garage. Uh, well, we will see. The, the load management of Derrick Henry will continue with the hamstring thing seeming to be more prevalent in Oakland. I'm just I'm I'm scared of it with running backs, Teresa. I really am, but I do agree uh, that he is irreplaceable uh, with what this team does. I want to talk a little bit about the Vols. I want to talk about a little bit about the state of Tennessee sports fandom. I want to talk quickly to Vols quarterback Jonathan Crompton about the bowl eligible Vols from where they began to where they now end facing my mighty Indiana Hoosiers in the Gator Bowl uh, coming up in January. We will talk to Vols quarterback, former Vols quarterback, Jonathan Crompton, and then be back right back with Teresa Walker here on the 615 Sessions. To, uh, to Georgia State for doing what, you know, doing what they do or what they did, uh, being able to game plan and, and, you know, execute the plays better. But uh, in all reality... The comeback since then is just—it's it, been phenomenal. It's um, been outstanding, you, truly. I mean, it, it really, truly has. You can tell that the the, uh, the guys are, are really buying in. Um, the future is looking bright. I mean, that's just that's about as easy as you can say it. They, they've done an awesome job, especially to get back and actually, you know, make it down to the Gator Bowl. I mean, that, that's a huge, huge win from where where the season was at what one and four. Um, to go six and one down the stretch, I mean, it doesn't matter who you're playing. Like I said, team's still got a game plan, too, and the players got to make the play. So they've done a phenomenal job. The Gator Bowl against my alma mater, the mighty Indiana Hoosiers, also a surprise that they are bowl eligible. But let's talk about the evolution of this Tennessee team because what Jeremy Pruitt has done and what that staff has done to talk about the buy-in that you mentioned earlier from from this from this particular Vols team, what, at what point did you really start to see that take hold? Because I mean, as soon as early as the BYU game, when they were thoroughly in control for the entirety of that, and we all know how it ended, 
Uh, but there were there were signs of life and signs that there was a an evolution happening. What was the biggest turning point for you over the course of their season? Uh, in all reality, seeing the maturity of uh, Garantano in the sense of nobody likes to be pulled, nobody likes to be benched. You know, I understand if it's for injury or whatnot, but going through what he went through and coming in when he was recalled upon and to do what he did in the sense of putting the team first, that tells you the team bought in because it was not a me situation. It was a what can we do to win because we're all in this thing together. Um, and I'm not singling out the quarterback because I played quarterback and all that stuff. I'm just going from when you look at the actual reality of the situation, that's a very tough situation to be in as a player, to be in as a college coach. At the next level, it's, it is what it is because you're getting paid to do it. Um, but at this level, to for everybody to, to stay the course when it's essentially a quarterback carousel, um, and, and go six and one down the stretch with, you know, okay, well, we've got, now we got Mauer starting. Well, he gets injured. Okay, well, what's going to happen? Okay, the, the uh, one yard line against Alabama, um, nobody wavered. That tells you when they bought in. Um, everybody's all on the same page. Jarrett Garantano, I, his, his kind of, I mean, you talk about the evolution of this particular team over the course of the season. His story has been one of the better ones in the sport. I am, uh, I'm thoroughly impressed with the way that he has kind of handled that all, all in front of a very, very large audience and been able to come out better for it other, on the other side. Uh, what, what has been the, most, the, the best part of his story uh, to you, Jonathan? Showing the maturity. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, there's, uh, the, the death threats that he received, man, that's not fun. I had them. My family had them, too. It's not fun. I, so I feel his pain um, in the sense of nobody knows the, the BS that happens behind closed doors. The fans think that they know. They don't know. They're not there. I don't know what goes on at the CEO of for Ford, you know, because I, I, I'm not there. Um, so that's the stuff that that people really got to understand is he is a young keyword young man, um, and for him to look adversity in the eye and pretty much say you're not going to beat me, um, that says a lot because when everything's going good. Everybody can be happy. Everybody is awesome when you're winning. When you're losing, it exposes everything. It exposes somebody's true character. Um, same thing with adversity. It exposes your true character, good, bad, and different. He showed his in a good way. Um, he's not going to waver from who he is. He's not going to go out here and be a crybaby. He's going to look it in the face, and he's going to look you in the eye and still shake your hand. Um, that's what was so impressive because uh, nobody, I don't care what anybody says, nobody deserves that. Uh, he doesn't go to somebody else's work and sit there and, and send them death threats or send their family death threats because they messed up a calculation. But on the other side, we know what we're getting ourselves into playing this sport. Um, so he, I think he did a phenomenal job. I, I 
it's crazy to me why any collegiate athlete would be on social media. Jonathan, in today's day and age. Well, I'm not, I'm not a fan of social media nowadays because nothing is ever private. Yeah. Um, that, but that's a, that's, a whole, that's a whole different ballgame. A whole no, different conversation. No question <laughs> about it. Well, and we, we appreciate your perspective on it and, uh, and appreciate you talking about that because it is, it is an experience that, that few people have gone through and few people could better understand. Uh, Lane Kiffin is going to be back in the SEC. <laughs> SEC yeah. head coach Lane Kiffin going to Ole Miss. I'm fired the hell up about it. Like, I love this. I, Just I don't be- know who's if, – if somebody's not, then they need – there's something wrong. Yeah, why can't this just be fun for everybody, Jonathan? Why exactly. do those people exist? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, man, do you understand what's about to happen? And oh, I'm just gonna, I'm going, I'm just throwing this out there. I'm going on the record to say the day he took the FAU job, I told everybody that I know here, I've got text messages that can prove it. He'll be an SEC head coach in three years. Oh, three years later back in the SEC. I love it. Oh, it, it's, 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 it's fantastic for a variety of reasons. But, I mean, from a football sense, outside of just kind of what Lane is and what Lane brings back to an SEC program, what, what now becomes the expectation for Ole Miss? Because they get players. Like, this is not a situation as, as good or bad as Ole Miss may be from time to time. They do get quality talent. What becomes the expectation for them as a program? Is it is it as simple as winning the Egg Bowl again? Are we talking about are we talking about like a trip to Atlanta here? Um, but hold on one second. All right, sorry about that. No, you're good. Uh, uh, I'm, I won't be honest with you. I I don't know if a trip to Atlanta is in you know next year's future. But then again, you never know because you don't know who's team's going to have well not next year i guess i know but i'm just saying in general anything can happen is what i'm getting at but i do think that there is a trip to atlanta in the next couple years and the reason why he he out he's going to out recruit people in the sense of kids kids want to play for a player's coach kids want to play where the coach lets them be themselves okay um, I, I mean, look at Lincoln Riley. So when, uh, um, Jalen Hurts goes to Oklahoma, right? He, uh, what was it? The spring game, I think it was. They, you know, they said, oh, well, you wouldn't have done that at Alabama. He's like, yeah, Lincoln, Lincoln Riley, let's just be ourselves. Yes. We can be us, but within the system. That's what Lane brings. You can still be fun. You can... You can celebrate. You can have a good time. It is an emotional game that you're playing. So that's the stuff that he's going to bring, and it's going to get – he's going to start getting the recruits that Ole Miss always gets, but plus the recruit that people go, ooh, ooh, that's normally an Alabama guy, or that's a, you know, an old-school USC guy, or an old-school Miami guy, you know what I'm saying? Um, Where, okay, now they're going to Oxford. Um, that's the that's the stuff that he's going to bring, and then but on the other side, they're going to actually learn football. They're going to understand X's and O's. Not everywhere gets taught that. That's reality. I've seen it. Um, they're going to understand football and what is what their expectation is on each play, 
offensively and defensively. So it's gonna it's gonna be fun to watch. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody laughs and jokes about the, including me, about the social media stuff about how he'll troll people this and that. But you know what? Do people not think that he's smart? Because what does that do? Now that gets the players thinking or looking up Ole Miss or FAU. You know what I mean? Oh Instead no! Of, he, he's not. He's not dumb. No. He is a very smart individual when it comes to this, and everybody does it. But he does it, and he's funny with it. So now it's it gets more attraction. He's going to start getting these uh, these players to Ole Miss, and they're um, they're going to be. I'm not saying they're going to go undefeated, but they're going to be in contention in a few years. I would I would think. Now it could be wrong. Everything depends on injuries and players coming in and all that. But I mean, he does play. He's going to be coaching in the SEC West, which is arguably harder than the East, um, especially in today's day. So he's going to he's not going to have an easy road, but he is going to have a chance to do some good, some really good things that Ole Miss has not done in a long time. I, I am so down for the ride, whatever it entails for Lane Kiffin, just because I he's he's so smart with the way he does it. That's that's my that's why I enjoy him so much. Because like I'm of the social media generation. Like I feed off of all of that stuff, just like a lot of people in their mid twenties do. He has a way of appealing to people uh, from from a distance just because his humor is so unlike what you get from most college coaches and it's 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 clever and I just I think he's gotten I, I don't know I think that I think I'm interested to see you know how the whole Lane Kiffin story comes full circle because everybody knows what the history with Lane is and why why the jokes are made but he he's somebody who I'm 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 really I'm really excited uh, to have back in a, on a bigger stage, and I, I really, I think, I think, uh, I think people need to be a little more like us, Jonathan. I think they just need to like sit back and enjoy the ride. Exactly, and that everybody, man, I'm gonna tell you, it's gonna be real fun when. Uh, sorry, mom. Actually, my mother was calling me. Sorry about that. That's all it's right. Gonna be, it's gonna be really fun when he uh, plays in Knoxville because everybody's gonna have all their stuff and all the signs and all this and it's you know it he understands these things and it'll that week will be a, a, a battle of who can ha- which team can have the least distraction same thing when they go to Tuscaloosa um, but the thing is his players are they're gonna play loose they always are I'm telling I mean he is the ultimate players coach um, from like I said, letting the players be themselves, but do not go outside of the realm of our scheme, but be yourself because that, that's what good coaches do. Good coaches adapt to the players, not making the players adapt to you. Now, th- I'm not saying those other systems don't work by any means. You can look at the Nick Sabans. Those systems do work, but, you know, at the end of the day, not every player is going to have the exact same monotone answer in the media. You come from different backgrounds. I mean, that's just that's called being human. So he understands that, um, and I, I think I think they're going to play well. They're going to play hard. Um, it's just a matter of executing the game plan. But it is going to be fun to watch him really be back to where it, I've talked to him for. He admitted he, you know, he said it publicly. 
You know, I probably shouldn't have left Knoxville. Yeah. But you know what? It made him the coach he is today. Because then he got to learn under a Nick Saban and see how he did it and incorporate his style with that style. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I think he's I think he's going to do good things there. Um, obviously, I root for him. I always have and always will. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to go buy Ole Miss shirts or anything, <laughs> but – I will. I will obviously keep up with them uh, personally. You know, hope they always do well uh, because he did things for me uh, coaching-wise, and so did his dad, Monty. His dad, Monty, arguably is one of the smartest defensive coaches I've ever met, um, if not the smartest. So I, I, I got to root for them no matter what. But I'm going to tell you, it, it'll be fun to watch them. I'm I'm all aboard the you know the, the lane train. The lane Everybody, train, baby. Absolutely. I, but it, it's going to be fun watching the evolution of this. It'll be weird seeing in that like powder baby blue though. Uh, I don't know. I bet he rocks it. Oh, you know, he, well, he you know, he's gonna uh, just watch it. <laughs> it. I'm telling you, it'll, it'll be fun watching them. But they're it, it'll be. I, I'm curious as to what staff he puts together. Yes. Um, in all honesty, but. At the end of the day, he knows what he wants, and he know like in the sense of schematics. So he's going to be smart about who he gets to fit his scheme, and he is he's a very intelligent intelligent coach. He's been doing it for a while. Um, you know, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm going to root for him. I think it's going to be fun to watch him. I'm interested to see this Tuscaloosa game, though. Yes. That that yeah, is that'll, that'll that's be going fun. to be fascinating. Yeah, I mean, uh, just just for the storylines alone, and then the football. Exactly. I mean, he is he is going to be. I think he's going to be legit dangerous at Ole Miss, and uh, and that's I, great. I, I we need some fresh agree. new blood. I truly agree, and you know, you it's never easy leaving a program, but when you leave a program in a better state than when you left it. That's a good thing. It's 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 easier to leave a program on your own terms than it is being fired. And him going, you know, two out of three conference uh, USA championships, that he left that program better than they were. Um, so at that point, what else could he have done at FAU? Honestly, I don't know. So he had done enough. Now now is the time to bring it back to where he really wanted to be, which is the SEC. So. I think the only way he was leaving FAU was to go to the SEC. And that is a personal opinion. Um, and, you know, this job came open at the right time. They've got good history, good bloodlines there. They're, you know, they've got good high schools down there. Oxford High School just won a state championship. So, he's, you know, he's not far from Memphis, being able to recruit in Memphis. And, you know, a lot of athletes come from Memphis. So he's going to have a good area to recruit from that's not far from home, so to speak. That's what's going to make him even more dangerous. No question about it. I'm uh, I'm really excited to watch it all play out. I am always excited to have Jonathan Crompton on the 615 Sessions podcast. My friend, uh, greatly appreciate the time. Always enjoy the conversation, and I'm sure we will chat uh, again very soon. I appreciate it. Hey, and... Uh... Uh, you can delete this part if you want. Uh, it's looking like me and my wife will be in Nashville around the national championship game. So if so, let's go grab a beer. 
No doubt, for sure. Uh, I probably, probably should delete that off the podcast, but you know what? I'm, we're growing. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're on the internet, baby. There's no FCC here. I appreciate you, Jonathan. We'll do that. All right, bud. I'll see you later. I appreciate it. Take care, brother. 615 Sessions podcast, Buck Rising, Teresa Walker, hanging out here with you. Shouts to Jonathan Crompton for stopping by. The, the Vols fans are a fascination for me, Teresa. I, you, have, you have been doing this for long enough. Your frame of reference uh, is, is far better than mine. That's why I am very happy to have you here uh, as a sounding board. What, what is it about that football team? that makes people care as rapidly as they do, whether they're losing to Georgia State or whether they're now heading to the Gator Bowl in what was the unimaginable when the season started. Part of it is tradition, family. I mean, that has been, you know, the Tennessee Titans have been here 23 years. This is their 23rd season here. The Tennessee Volunteers have been here for well over a, a century. Uh, you know, there there are grandpas who rooted for the 1951 national championship team. Uh, there are people, you know, I, I'm an alum of the University of Tennessee. There are people who who cheered the 1998 national championship. So, you know, they're used to that that period there over about a decade from the you know the, not, the 80s into the 90s where they were not just a one of the best teams in the SEC, but one of the best teams in the nation. And even now, with the bad, horrible drought and the struggles they've had over the last decade, they still rank right there near the very top two or three for most bowl appearances all time. So they've been a very successful program for a very long time. Uh, but you have families who they go, they tailgate. You know, they take their kids, they take their grandkids. You know, my mother-in-law doesn't hasn't missed hardly a game since 1980, in the 1980s. And go Vols, Paul. And that's road home, you name it. And she's taken, you know, she's taken my son from the time he, you know, my son was uh, being carried on board, so to speak, in the 98 season. He went to Syracuse. He was at the Arkansas game. Uh, and then he was there as a baby. And he's now there as a, a junior on campus. You, they, These people have been trained and brought up just like they are in Alabama, just like they are with Clemson. You know, it, college fandom is easy to continue because you have the players longer. And But even then, when the players do change, you still have the brand. Tennessee Vols, Crimson Tide. You know, that's what these people are, are rooting for the most and 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 yes there's there's a reason why that stadium is over 102,000 strong Crazy. and that was brought down from 105 so you know it's like it it once was the largest stadium in the country and it's because they can fill it up and i have gone to games on on game day driving to memphis to cover things and there there is orange and white painted in corners of this state from the east to the far west and that's kind of a unifying factor across the whole, entire state I I'm I really want to go. I people think that I don't like the Vols because I You like, need to experience Neyland once. I want to go. I want them to be good so I can get like the full vibe because I Teresa I come from a place where I just don't get the tribalism that comes with well, SEC football. Well, cuz you went to Indiana. Yes, and they will now uh, kneecap the Vols in the Gator Bowl. I am now <laughs> an Indiana football fan. We might have to have a wager on this. <laughs> uh, entertainment purposes only perhaps. I, uh, I, though, I want them to matter in the sports landscape because I want to see, I want to experience something like that. And I'm, that's why I'm sitting here because it's a, it's a difficult comparison to draw for all of the reasons that you just laid out, collegiate versus professional fandom. 
because the Titans are sitting here uh, trying to rally the troops for uh, for a game for that will help decide the AFC South in a year when they have been nothing but impressive for at least the last seven weeks. And they are trying, begging at the podium in front of a microphone, any chance that you get, please come to our game. And be loud. And be loud. My comparison, if this were in Knoxville, if this were the final week of the regular season and Tennessee Vols were hosting Alabama, ticket prices would be through the roof. It would be packed. You couldn't get in. I'll compare this. 1994, me and some friends tried to go over and get tickets. Peyton Manning's first game against Alabama in the first quarter couldn't get a price second quarter even tickets were going for 150 to get in the building at that point we gave up and went to a bar on the strip but yeah you know, exactly so if that were happening in knoxville this week i can guarantee you people would be offering up their firstborn to get in that building and you know maybe it's the pros the success of the preds hadn't helped because you know and there's been some people like well i'm still waiting for the titans to show me something well if they didn't show it to you on sunday when the texans you know fell on their face you know that they were not they were the favorite you know they'd gotten up they'd beaten the patriots the week before and and then they just trip over themselves against a rookie quarterback in a second game and I mean it was just astounding to watch that performance on Sunday well the Titans could have done that too they've done that so many times so in the past many times. <laughs> I, I can go back to Mike Malarkey you know they had the lead in the division and they went and lose to Arizona and San Francisco this team did not do that this team understands the moment that they've got and the opportunity they've got and yes they're asking for fans to come and be loud and fill up the seats and have have their back and I'll, t- I'll tell you I think it was maybe the Buffalo game uh, I had my son with me and he was helping run quotes that day and he he was looking around and he's like wow this is loud he had never seen that because he was a kid you know he was born in uh, 1999 so he was just a babe during the wonder years of this franchise 1999 to 2003 he d- has never seen that stadium packed with Titans fans. He doesn't remember the Titan fans being so loud. Fred Miller false started over and over and over in a game. So that's the impact fans in the state can have. We'll see what they do on Sunday. But at this point, uh, you know, they have done everything but pull up to your house with a limousine offering to give you a ride to the stadium. It, is there is there always going to be that disconnect? At least at least in Nashville, when things are so and it doesn't you know it doesn't necessarily have to be one team one sport versus the other, but no. there all there seems to be uh, divisions whether they're acknowledged or not between Titans fans and Vols fans and Preds fans in a way that I don't it seems to come up every time. It gets to this, we'll support the team, well, you know, show me something from people who are unnecessarily skeptical or, I mean, it's, or just aren't paying attention. And so they're, ding, ding, ding. They're, they're assigning these uh, stereotypes, which in, in their defense has been warranted in most years. I just, I, I look at, I look at them and I look at the Vols and I'm, I, I don't get it. But I just wonder if it's just people aren't watching. That's part of it. And it takes one lo- one ugly loss to stick in the mind and some people turn off. I mean, for Tennessee Vol fans, the loss to Georgia State and then BYU. Ugh. I was at the Hootie Boot and the Bullfish concert and they've got the, you know, they're on defense. It's a few seconds left. BYU's got a long way to go. Were you streaming the game during I this concert? I was not, but my husband. Teresa, my, stop working. 
But my husband texted me the status, and I thought, oh, they've got this game. I'm going to turn my attention to the concert. I get out, and they lose in overtime? Are you kidding me? Yes. So, for, for and, and for the Titans fans, you know, hey, was it the loss to Denver that made the impression? Was it the loss to the Colts or the Bills? You know, there, there were a few. There were four in that first six weeks to choose from and maybe think, I'm out on this team. But that said, you know, I do think there's still that college mentality that if a team loses more than two games, there's no way they can really be the the champ. I'm going to go on to something else. And it's like, no, 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 no. I remember eight and eight teams playing in the playoffs in this league. So it's like, I mean, shoot, look at who whoever comes out of the NFC East is going to have below, you know, 500 record. So all that matters is getting in. You know, people remember what happened to the Patriots when they were chasing perfection. They ran into the New York Giants. And nobody remembers the record at the end of a season. They only remember, did you win? And, you know, that's what the Titans are doing right now. I mean, six of seven. And in the fashion they're doing, this is fun football. All the arguments I've heard, they're not entertaining. You know, remember Exotic Smash Mouth? And, you know, yeah, they're doing some Smash Mouth. And they're maybe this is what Mike Malarkey meant, you know, throwing the ball deep down the field. And I mean, you know, it sure is productive. It does. It does speak volumes to Mike Malarkey, probably understanding more about Marcus Mariota's offensive limitations than anybody else. I think that may, ding, ding, ding. he I, was around him for a big chunk of his career. And I think, I think those things may be coming to light and it's, it's crazy to think that Mike Malarkey might've gotten a raw deal, but uh, here we are, and Mike Vrabel and Arthur Smith, to his credit, uh, have got them performing at a high level, and they're surviving uh, defensive injuries uh, because they have been. They started out historically, or not, may, perhaps not historically good, but certainly championship caliber on defense, and just the way that the sport takes the toll on the bodies in that uh, in that way. You have the secondary being banged up, Vaccaro in concussion protocol. No Malcolm Butler, Ty Smith playing meaningful snaps but showing up. Uh, they are they are mattering in a way that really is the only thing that we could ask of them at this point. And so I am fascinated to see what, to what happens uh, to both the Vols and the Titans in the bowl game coming up and against the Texans on Sunday. I want to talk a little bit, Teresa, uh, about how how just how much you have done since you have been here in Nashville and doing work for the Associated Press. Uh, we listed your credentials at the top, and so I am grateful uh, to be able to, ha- to have conversations uh, about things that I may or may not understand or have the proper reference for. I want to do that right after we talk to NASCAR driver Tyler Reddick. Back here, 615 Sessions, A to Z Sports. A to ZSportsNashville.com. Very pleased to be joined by back-to-back NASCAR Xfinity Series champion. You know him well. He is Tyler Reddick here on behalf of our friends at Tame the Beast who take care of us over on the A to Z Sports Primetime Show. My brother, what's going on? Oh, not much. Just uh, enjoying the time down in Nashville right now. Uh, you know, with the NASCAR Awards week and the show happening later this week. Uh, just really pumped to be here, enjoying my time here. Uh, my family lives, you know, in uh, in College Grove, not too far from Nashville. So I'm kind of familiar with the area, but it's cool to spend a couple days here in the off season. A little chilly, but still, it's it's Nashville and it's a lot of fun. Amen. Listen, it's uh, I'm I've really enjoyed uh, watching NASCAR kind of take over the city uh, throughout the course of this week. It's been a trip to see all the events that you guys have had leading up to uh, 
leading up to the award, the Cup Series awards that are coming up tomorrow uh, when that'll take place at the Music City Center. Uh, you, my friend, have had yet another tremendous season, and I am fascinated. I'm fascinated by people who do what you do, Tyler, because I am I'm inherently a coward. I sit behind a microphone and I talk for a living. I, I talk to people who do much more impressive things in life than I myself do. Uh, you are now moving up to the Cup Series, though, and that's that's where the big boys run. That's where uh, legends are made. What What is the most exciting part of that for you, uh, given that you've had so much success in the Xfinity Series? Um, probably, for me, short, you know, short-term sitting here right now, the most exciting part about it is, you know, as you grow up, uh, you know, as a kid growing up, whether you're racing or you're trying to get into racing you know you have you have people you looked up to and and the people i looked up to in the cup series were were drivers such as you know jeff gordon jimmy johnson uh carl edwards uh you know dale earnhardt senior dale earnhardt jr and uh, you know a lot of those guys i never got to race against but for me what's really cool is i'm gonna have the opportunity to race against jimmy johnson for the entire year in the cup series and that's you know that's a guy that when you're a kid growing up that's who you wanted to be you wanted to be you know who, what is now the seven time champion. So for me, um, that's what, uh, is short term. So cool is just being able to, to be able to compete against him week in and week out. Obviously there's going to be some weeks I won't be racing against him, but you know, in those, in that year span that we'll, we'll be going through at some point for sure, we'll be racing against him. You'll be whipping the number eight car for Richard Childress racing. That's one of the most historic brands in the sport, what does that mean to you to be a part of? Uh, you, you've been a part of the, their team for some time now, but I mean that's still really, really cool to get to do that, uh, given what your what your profession is. No. Yeah, I mean it's it's incredible. I mean, just being able to run for Richard and those guys, um, you know, win a championship on the 50th year, but to race for the team that you know I grew up watching and. You know, just this team has so much history and, uh, you know, obviously stepping in big shoes with the eight, you know, p- driving the, the car number that I pulled, pulled for so much as a kid growing up. It's an incredible experience, but, you know, that pressure is something that has fueled us in the past, especially looking back to last year. Um, being able to, sorry, someone rolled by. I hope that wasn't too loud. <laughs> That's all right, brothers. It's an audio medium. We're here for all the all the background noises the Broadway has to offer. I was I I, I'm in the alley, you know. I thought it was gonna be quiet, but I just (laughs) roll on. There's not a quiet place in this city, I promise you. Oh, a couple. The hotel room hopefully is quiet too. Hopefully the hotel room's quiet. Uh, but I'm, I'm Tyler. I'm fascinated by the background of somebody who grows up wanting to be a NASCAR driver. I'm, I'm from Indiana, and before Peyton Manning was a thing, it was IndyCar and Indiana basketball. Those were the only two things that mattered to anybody in my state. Obviously, there's a big difference between IndyCar and NASCAR. But I, I have been to the Indy 500 one time in my life, and I was just completely floored by the scale and the speed and the power of the machines that you guys are operating. Obviously, differences in the cars, but what at what point did you know that this is what you wanted to do for a living? Because honestly, I would be terrified to even get near one of these things. Um, they're just so much fun. You know, IndyCar is something that never dabbled in, but, you know, my background is from open-wheel dirt racing, and um, more times than not, some of the open-wheel guys are... I guess in history, 
in, in the past, you would start with open wheel cars uh, on dirt and you know, maybe progress over to the IndyCar side. But, you know, those cars are really fast, really fun. Um, quite a bit different, obviously, obviously to the, the cup cars. Um, but, you know, you still have the same speeds. Uh, you know, some of the racetracks were going pretty pretty quick, but not as quick as the Indy cars. But, you know, it's just, um, you know, the way the, the cup cars are uh, with, with the tires that they've ran, uh, you know, through the past and, and throughout their history, uh, you have to manage those tires. You're driving really heavy race cars that, um, you know, you have to manage that. So the Indy car side, they got a lot of downforce, a lot of grip, and uh, there's not as much management, but you're definitely going really fast. So. Flipping and sliding is what, what's the fun part for me and um, trying to run as fast as you can over, uh, you know, 40, 50 laps on, on tires that degrade is is what makes it a blast. <laughs> it's crazy that you would say slipping and sliding is the fun part for me. Anybody else would be terrified in those positions. Again, I, for somebody who doesn't do this, who's just looking at guys like you, watching, watching you do what you do so well, I, it's probably difficult to describe to people who have never experienced it, but what kind of rush do you get from the competition that you are that you're in regularly? I mean, it's it's hard to put into words, but uh, one of my favorite parts is is just just racing uh, other drivers, making passes. You know, with that though, the most frustrating thing in the world is, is getting passed, getting beat by those other guys. But just just competing as hard as you can every lap, um, going for it with that, you know, kind of ties back into the slipping and sliding part of it. Just going for it as hard as you can every single lap is uh, what I enjoy and what I look forward to the most. Um, but for sure, you know, it, it wouldn't be fun if you were, you know, destroying the field week in and week out. And that's what's nice. You're racing against the best drivers in the country when it comes to circle track racing. And so you're racing against the best of the best. And it's really, really hard to go out and just flat dominate every single lap of every single race because you're racing against, you know, the top 1%, and that's what's a lot of fun and really cool about it. You're racing, you're racing against just the best the best drivers, the best crew chiefs, the best mechanics, uh, you know, the best of the best. So in, in transitioning to the Cup Series from the Xfinity Series, that's got to be that's got to be difficult, obviously, for for the all the reasons that you've just laid out, because it's the the top one percent of the racing world uh, in all aspects. What's what's kind of your expectation uh, now that you'll be heading into your first season at that level? Um, it's hard to say. Um, I'm really excited for the the direction and the improvement um, into the coming uh, update to the Chevrolet body with the new ZL1 1LE that they've pushed out. Kind of redesigned the, the car a little bit, made it a little bit better at the, at the super speedways while not obviously allowing it to, to hurt uh, what happens everywhere else. So that's exciting for me. Um, but for sure, it's a lot of unknowns racing against a bunch of new drivers that you get to race against every now and again, but not not too frequently throughout the year. So we've seen week in, week out with them, understanding their characteristics um, and what their just habits tend to be. It's going to be big, but obviously that big step, you go from racing – I would say 10 or 12 decent teams and, and drivers and, and crews to racing 30 of them at least. So big step, um, but we're looking forward to it. The longer races will probably be beneficial. It gives me more time to get situated, get more comfortable in the car, but it allows the veterans to obviously to further make their car better. So it's hard to say, but uh, everyone's working really hard at the shop. I know that, and we're doing everything we can to, to get out of the, get out of the gate at the beginning of the year um, as quick as we can. So, throughout the course of your experiences, I mean, obviously there's a high degree of difficulty and danger 
to what you're doing on a regular basis. What is there? Has there ever been a moment? Like, what's the most? Uh, what's the most dangerous moment, I guess, that you have experienced and and just thought, wow, that is incredibly lucky that I was able to come out on the other side of that? Because I have to feel like that happens almost every time you step into one of these cars, Tyler. Believe it or not, I think that's happened more in, in life outside of racing than it has in the race car. Um, but that just goes to show just how much uh, faith you have in the drivers you're competing against around you. For sure, though, Um there's a lot of times on these plate racetracks when that many cars are running that close together uh, and you, you, you physically cannot see past the rear bumper and the spoiler of the car in front of you and see anything. You're totally relying on the car in front of you to, to go the right way or stay up on the racetrack. So I think back to probably one of the crazier ones for me, um, Daytona uh, in, the, in, in February back in 2018 when pretty much everybody around me in the field started wrecking and I barely got through it. Uh, scathed by and, and ended up winning the race after like the third or fourth overtime finish after a couple more wrecks. So that's probably one of the most crazy ones that I've gotten through. Um, granted the, the very next, uh, the next year I was back there and racing on Sunday in the cup series, I experienced the other side of it where you're stuck middle three wide and you can see him start wrecking and you, you don't even have time to lift or, or say, well, what do I do to avoid this? Cause you're already in it. So it's pretty crazy on the speedway racetracks. We're going that fast, that close together. It's, uh, it's it's pretty wild that we don't wreck more often, uh, but when they do wreck big, uh, they they tear a lot of stuff up for sure. I can't even begin to imagine. Now you celebrated uh, your second consecutive Xfinity Series championship by going to Universal Orlando, and I saw uh, in doing a little background on you saw all of the tweets and the uh, the posts that you were putting up from Universal. You seemed to particularly enjoy uh, the Harry Potter aspect of it what what was your favorite ride throughout the course of that it's the one that's a mouthful it's hagrid's magical motorbike uh magic hagrid's magical motorbike adventure is a short one it's like magical outdoor creature or something but it's the one that has a ridiculously long name that no one can say uh the newest one it's the one i enjoyed the most um the one through the the one that's in the in hogwarts itself in the park when you go and sit on the floating benches I got sick within like 20 seconds. I had to close my eyes and just start praying. That I didn't throw up on the, on the folks and, and friends of mine that were sitting on each side of me. But, um, you know, it's crazy. And I joke with people about this all the time, but I get motion sickness very, very easily. And people look at me and say, how is that possible? If you drive a race car, and I, I, I don't know, but if I'm in control, I'm fine. But if I'm not in control, I get sick very, very quick. If I'm just riding in the car with my girlfriend, she can make me sick while driving down the highway. And it's not a, not a fear thing. It's just a normally in control of the time of, of what a car is doing. And I guess my body's just very uh, out of sync with what that's like when I'm not in control. That's fascinating because obviously covering professional sports for a living, you, 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 come, into, you come into contact with all sorts of different people. And uh, one of the offensive linemen for the Philadelphia Eagles just has this crippling anxiety that overtakes him in, in every aspect of his life almost on a daily basis. And yet he's performing at the highest level in front of, you know, in front of uh, thousands of people on a regular basis with as much scrutiny as the NFL has. And I, I, that's, that's always crazy to me to, to, uh, to hear people like you say, say that, you, you know, race car driver, I get motion sickness when I'm not in control. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's weird. The little things sometimes that you just never think 
uh, would be possible, end up being possible. But yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, that just goes to show, you know, when people ask how exhilarating it is or how, you know, much of adrenaline rush it is. And yes, the, the high moments are the highs and lows can be crazy. Um, but you now I'm more comfortable in the race car than I am probably walking down the street at times. And that just goes to show that's just what I, I guess in a way, I don't know if I was born to do it, but it's just what I've come accustomed with. It's what I, I love doing the most. And it's just where I find comfort in life and happiness. So that's what I do. And you've had tremendous success doing it, no doubt. He is Tyler Reddick of Richard Childress Racing, whipping the number eight car next season for the brand as he moves up to the Cup Series. You can follow him, of course, on Twitter, at Tyler Reddick, here on behalf of our friends at Tame the Beast. It is an absolute pleasure to be on. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Teresa Walker in the house, hanging out here in the home office. Uh, the, the tradition, Teresa, whether it be Brett Kern sitting in your seat or our dear friend Paul Kaharski or John Glennon or Joe Rexroad or Emily Proud, uh, is that I offer everybody a tour of uh, my 104 year old neighbor's shed out back it uh we 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 joke about these things i'm not certain if anybody was to actually go in they might uh really return well he's been around for a long time and i've heard you talking about him for a long time it's just so, out the window though i i'll just say this having lived in this state for a long time i i learned a long time ago don't walk into somebody's shed unless you maybe carry something to protect yourself i would not mess with him he's scrappy at 104 you don't survive past 100 without having some survival skills. It is a survival skill at this point, to be sure. Uh, you cover everything yes. under the sun. It is exhausting to listen to you talk about your day. Imagine how it is to live it. I, that's exactly my point. I, Teresa, you, uh, you fascinate me for a variety of reasons, and I'm unceasingly uh, impressed with your work ethic. What what gives you the what is the drive for you to be able to manage all of these things? Because you've been doing this for a minute, Chick. This has been a while. Well, a week ago I finished the thirtieth year with AP. Yes. Started on thirty one, and when I mentioned that, you know, I look around the room and it's like I've been at my company now longer than some of y'all have been alive. You know, you, longer Eric Backrack, Luke Warsham. <laughs> yeah, it's like I oh yeah, I need some uh, I need some of that WD forty, but. I I wanted to be in journalism from the time I was a kid. I tried to have my own neighborhood newspaper at one point. Um, I like to tell people stuff I know. And I grew up watching football with my mom, which is funny. I mean, I watch sports with her, not my dad, uh, because especially when we moved to Tennessee, I, you know, there's not a whole lot to do in the eastern hills of Tennessee. And back in the 70s, you got more NFL games and you got college. So I, I started watching sports then and, and, and been a tomboy and just loved doing it. And, and, and I do like, I, I, I would think I'd get bored if I just covered one team. And so I get to kind of keep my finger in all the pies from east to west in this state. And I get to go be where the games and the teams matter at that moment. And that keeps me very happy. Yeah. And I'd, busy. It, no question about it. Uh, but is there is there one aspect of it? Is there one sport? Is there one time period that you've enjoyed covering the most from any I mean it could be Grizzlies you're in Memphis all the time for a variety of different things you've covered the Titans as long as you have of course the Preds uh, keep you busy as well and all Vandy whatever the case may be is there something is there something in particular 
that you most enjoy, the aspect of your job? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, playoffs are awesome. I mean, you know, when the Predators and the Grizzlies are in, uh, I take quite pride in the fact that over the last decade, when they've both been in there, I've maybe missed one game, and that was because they were playing the same night. Uh, and the night that the Predators were ousted in a second round, well, that was the night that the Grizzlies went to uh, triple overtime. And, you know, and I'm getting back to my hotel at four in the morning. So, you know, trying to keep all those plates spinning can be fun. But uh, one of my favorite moments of all time probably will be in 1998 when I got to sit down with Pat Summit in her office door closed and talk about the three-peat that they had done and the way her Lady Vols had played the the previous spring winning that third national title uh, they had a stretch in that game that was like Lakers Showtime Lakers moving the ball up and down the court flying it was women's basketball at its finest yes. so um, but you know and again I'm kind of spoiled I mean I'm going to go into Tokyo next year for my sixth Olympics and I'm, I'm, my fingers across that maybe I'm in Miami for a fourth Super Bowl so uh, it's never ever boring you could use a trip to the beach too I think I've got one on tap in March I, I try to make an annual trip to the Keys just to you know R&R yes you you mentioned Pat Summit and it's one of I mean Pat Summit I I got here the year that she died and so but the impact of course I'm just as a basketball fan it doesn't matter men's women's whatever the case may be. And as, as a sports fan in general, of course, the impact of Pat Summit uh, just left ripples with all aspects uh, of, of society, it would seem. But particularly here, coaches, though, you've covered a great many. Outside of Pat, you have, you have this unique uh, relationship with Mike Vrabel that goes, it's as simple as the first question at a press conference, but people are fascinated by it. They're delighted by it. And I don't know, you know, I don't know how how often, if at all, you get to create these kind of connections with these people uh, who, who sports fans like to see interact in those ways. You create these human moments. Mike Vrabel, not the easiest person to humanize at times, but still every time, Teresa, go ahead. Do you, how much do you, appreciate that or appreciate those things when they're happening, I guess. Well, it's tough not to. I mean, because I am human and I do, you know, it is special because yeah, I've covered Jeff Fisher, you know, Mike Munchak, Mike Malarkey, Ken Wisenhunt, and all the coaches, you know, over at Vandy, the Predators, you name it. This one is a different relationship, and and, and honestly, I, I've I've had a lot of people ask me what's what's up, and I think it goes back to <laughs> that first off season, that side session we had with the writers, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I was tired. I you know I had to cover the Olympics in Korea, the women's hockey, and I, and I'm just I'm counting the days to vacation, so I'm over there because he's a new coach. I'm trying to listen to the questions, trying to learn as much as I can but I didn't have a question that day and he just looks over at me at one point and he goes do you have a question and I'm like no and then I was kind of tired and grouchy that day and I said well and like some of these other guys I don't have the ego that I got to ask a bunch of questions <laughs> and if you and I don't know if you were saying ding ding but I, and, and I explain later it's like come on I'm not posting all the posts that these guys have to do so that's another reason I don't have these all these questions but at that point he said you I like and you know I'm that's the better 
benefit that I have. I'm not having to come, you know, with five questions every day, every time we get Mike Vrabel, because I'm writing one story a day usually. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, there's day, there's weeks where I don't write every single day because I have so much else on my plate. So I'm going for the important stuff. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be asking all the time about the third or fourth DB, you know, and, and saves an extra question or two. Teresa ain't got time for your third and fourth cornerback. Do you hear me, Titans fans? That is, no, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's really cool, you know, to, to see the way that people kind of gravitate towards that. And I know, uh, people are, people are appreciative of all of the good work that you have done for them over the course uh, of your tenure with the Associated Press and covering all of their favorite sports teams. And I am grateful to have you in my life to remind me, uh, maybe mostly needle me after I have forgotten to check the weather forecast for practice on a particular And I am day. so happy to do that. <laughs> and to needle you whenever possible. Indeed. Teresa M. Walker is where you follow her on Twitter. Teresa Walker of the Associated Press, two-time Tennessee sports writer of the year, covering the Titans, the Predators, Memphis, the Grizzlies, all of your favorite Tennessee sports teams. Hall of Famer, appreciate your time. My pleasure, Buck, because you know what? I got to keep your ego down. It, my, <laughs> there's only room in the, in the in, there's only enough room in the room for one ego, and that's mine. Amen, mama. That being said, I'm Buck Rising, reminding you to stay hot, Nashville. We will talk to you on Thursday, right here on the 615 Sessions, brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. <laughs>